0: This is the European Tours Life on Tour podcast,
1: presented by Hilton. Welcome to the European Tours new podcast, Life on Tour, presented by Hilton with me, Andrew Cotter. It is a podcast where we'll be talking to some of the great figures of golf. We're here in the Hilton St. Anne's Manor, not too far from Wentworth, and who better to start with than a player... Who's won twice there? A player who is a member of a very select club. Those who have been world number one. He's played in four Ryder Cups. He's won them all. He finished top of the Order of Merits in Europe and the United States. He is, of course, Luke Donald. There it is, Luke. The big build-up. Welcome. Keep going, please. Keep going. <laughs> no, exactly. not. that's it. That's it. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. No, but when you hear that list of achievements, it must give you. I know we're sort of uh, you're far from done with golf yet, but we're, as we look back, it must give you a huge sense of pride in your achievements in the game?
0: Yeah, I guess if anyone had offered me that at the beginning of my career, I would have snapped it up uh, in, a, in a heartbeat. But um, yeah, very proud with of what I've done. Um, not too many guys can say they got to number one in the world, uh, at any sport really. So um, yeah, great achievement, obviously something I'm very proud of and um, worked hard for. And um, it was nice to you know, it's nice to get to number one and nice to stay
1: there for, for a good period of time too. Yeah, 56 weeks. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that and, uh, and, and some of the other players who've made it to that lofty perch. But take us back to where it, uh, where it all began. Because uh, I say where it all began, it began in Lamanga, Manga, even though you're, um, you're from not far from here actually. But uh, how, how did your golfing career begin?
0: Well, yeah, a lot of it was a, an influence of going to uh, summer holidays in, in Spain, in La Manga, um, south of Spain, and my dad, uh, my parents bought a timeshare uh, down there, and we were one of the first to buy into, and we got three years of free sports, tennis, golf, and I, I played a little bit of golf before that, um, just pitching and putts and little little courses near where I lived, but That was really the place I kind of fell in love with it, I think, because, well, it was sunny, for one. (laughs) Um, My brothers would play with me. Uh, We had three or four clubs between us, and um, we would just go out there and kind of enjoy it. And um, where we stayed, there was also a par three course. It was called, um, like, a pitch and putt. A lot of long putting holes, lots of chipping holes. And um, I'd just spend hours and hours out there just to kind of chipping, putting, doing whatever. But I, I,
1: I really, um, it's kind of where my passion for the game kind of started. And doing that thing of competing against, were you the youngest of competing against older brothers so uber competitive games?
0: Yes, yeah, I'm uh, one of uh, the youngest of four. My sister's the oldest and two brothers and then, you know, a six-year gap to me. Um, my parents always tell me I was the planned one and the others three were mistakes, but... I'm not sure if I believe them,
1: yeah but you know, I mean your brother Christian, a lot of people might know as your caddy for a long time, so and he w- was a professional golfer as well, so obviously he was had some talent as well, but was it clear from a young age that you knew you, you were pretty useful at the game
0: um, y- yes, I mean, I think um, you know I grew up playing with with Chris, my brother mostly, my other brother kind of lost interest quickly, I think he found beaten. other stuff, <laughs> yeah, either getting beaten or found other stuff to do, but, um, yeah, I think, um, you know, I think time I got to about 14, 15, 16, you know, I was playing for the, the full England side, um, you know, and it was, yeah, I think at 16 was kind of when I thought, mm, you know, maybe I might be able to do this professionally, we'll have to see, but, um, it wasn't until probably about then that, uh, I figured I might be good enough.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I remember first recognising your name when I was uh, talking to Peter McAvoy, who was the Walker Cup captain. And 1999, you played in the team, a very, very good team in Nairn. And he said, um, he said, look out for this guy, uh, Paul Casey. No, he said, look out <laughs> for this guy, Luke Donald. He turned out to be okay. But he said, well, exactly, but he said that uh, Luke Donald is the best English player out there. And I said, well, in the amateur ranks, he said, no, no, overall, and this is when Westwood, you know, still was was coming on the scene and playing great golf so that was high praise well, I always liked Peter yeah, I know. So, um, exactly
0: he was actually a really really uh, inspirational caddy, uh, captain and a kind of coach uh, during that Walker Cup and, and and the next one in 2001 we both had landslide victories i think winning by 6 points uh, over the us i think it's biggest win we've ever had in, in 2001 uh, against a you know playing or, uh, away from home so you know i think um, yeah, Peter was always very complimentary of me, very um, pushed me forward, always made me believe I was very good and I think that was that was kind of helpful in my career.
1: Now you're known as well as one of the sort of trendsetters because a lot of players do it now, but for those players who make the decision to go and study mm. in the United States. and. For those who don't know, it's Northwestern in Chicago. But it might have been might have been Stanford. Was it close to being Stanford? Yes. Uh, again, I
0: was. Um, my my parents always kind of wanted me to carry on my education and go to college. You know, and it's very hard to do both in the UK. You kind of either study or you turn professional and and, and forego the forgo university but you know america just seemed like a perfect fit for me to be able to do that and um yeah i was i was recruited by stanford i'd heard of stanford tiger a certain tiger woods you might have heard of him he was still um um enrolled in the college at that time and um unfortunately i, I didn't get picked it was me against this other guy in the end and i think the coach there decided the other guy was going to be more successful so um, a guy called Jimmy Lee. I'm sure you've heard of him. Jimmy Lee went Big, on to a great career. Great, great career great well, there great you go. Well done, coach. Um, but uh, I think um, the coach there, a guy called Wally Goodwin, felt very bad that you know I I, I didn't get into the to Stanford, and he was a former coach at Northwestern, so yeah. he shipped me off there. He said, I think you'll like it there.
1: But that's a totally different path. You either Southern California and you know the Tiger Woods, etc. And I mean a great golfing college, but a great uh, institution itself. Is Stanford's. Mm. Uh, But then you look at Northwestern, Chicago, that is cold winters, a great city, but it's an entirely different uh, different route, a different way of life. Yeah,
0: it's actually on par academically with Stanford, but um, not many people have heard of Northwestern. I hadn't heard of Northwestern, (laughs) to be honest. And when I went there, for the first time on, a, on a, an official like pre-trip to see if I liked it. Um, my first time to the US, it was April, and there was still a smattering of snow on the ground, and I'm just wondering to myself, um, how am I going to play golf here? But, um, you know, I met my coach then, Pat Goss, who's been very influential in, in my whole career, and he just
1: made me feel very at home, just made me feel like this was a good place for me. Yeah. I'm not going to be too hard mm-hmm. on, on other Athletes who go to, to college but some might study you know it's, for them it's about the sport mm. um, they might do a management degree or something but you as you mentioned there your parents as well about getting a, a good degree as well so art theory and practice I mean that's all well no but it's obviously been a, an interest of yours from a, from a young age it is and, and if Northwestern had some sort of business degree I probably would have done that <laughs> but
0: they didn't uh, offer that at uh, the undergraduate level so uh, and, and it at Northwestern, you don't really have to decide on your major till the last two years. So the first two years, you're just kind of figuring out what you want to do. And I, I grew up with, my, my brothers and sisters were all quite artistic. And so I, I kind of picked that up from them. And uh, I just f- decided I'd do something I liked. I was really hoping the golf would work out. And fortunately, it did. Otherwise, uh, I think I might be a struggling artist right now. But um, yeah, I I went for art theory and practice, which really was was actually the physical doing art. It wasn't much history. It was more just painting and doing the, doing all that kind
1: of stuff. Was that a lot of hanging around in the was it the Art Institute of Chicago? Is that the one that's in Ferris Bueller's yeah, sure. Day Off?
0: Yeah, I had to visit that a few times and do a few papers on certain certain
1: things. Um, but uh, again, as with a lot of people, you know, university at college, or oh, that's where sort of life really begins, and so the golf continues. But obviously, is that where you met? Diane, your
0: yeah, wife. met my wife.
1: Um, <clears throat> not till I was a senior; she was a freshman. But we won't
0: talk about the age difference. But uh, yeah, it was literally my last quarter of before graduating. Um, I, I didn't have much um, academic credits to fulfill my from, to get to make me graduate. So I was spending a lot of time at bars and having a good time, and obviously practicing and playing for the the
1: team. But there wasn't much. Uh, college uh, school going on at the moment. so Did she know who uh, you were because you were a big man on campus as the NCAA well, record set up? I was a big man.
0: There was a daily newspaper called the Daily Northwestern and uh,
1: that was one of her first lines to me.
0: She said, I see you in the Northwestern all the time, but I never see you out. Like, I'm fi- it's nice
1: to finally meet you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it went from there, really. Excellent. Um, so, the, as I say, the golf continues to, to improve. I mentioned there the NCAA and... and breaking Tiger's uh, record and in, in, in winning the individual title as well. So at this point, I presume you're thinking it's all about a pro career?
0: I was, yeah, very interested in obviously doing that. Um, again, as I said, I was an art major. I wasn't quite sure where that was going. It was well. it was a passion, but it wasn't as much of a passion as golf.
1: So um, that was the plan, was to try and um, make it uh, on tour. OK, so take us forward to... Um, how you got on to the, the, the PGA Tour, and I, I suppose because you're in, we're talking to you as a European, we're talking to you here in the, the Hilton St. Anne's Court, not far from 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 Wentworth, from London, but you very much established yourself in the United States, so it was all about the, the PGA Tour for you?
0: Well, I'd had so much success in college. I won 13 times, you know, with an NCAA, so it just felt like my game was suited to success out there Um, you know I really felt like I learned how to win at at university and um, so it just it was natural selection for me to try and go through Q school if I hadn't have got through Q school I I possibly would have gone and tried to play in Europe more Um, but as as, um, chance would have it you know I was able to get through all three stages Um, my first time which you know again is, is unusual and usually takes people a few times to to get on tour, and luckily I got on tour and, you know, I had a su- decently successful first year.
1: Yeah, Southern Farm Bureau Classic,
0: I yeah. recall as you first. Well, a 54-hole tour, was that reduced to? It was. There was uh, a lot of rain um, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday and Tuesday, so... Uh, <laughs>
1: but the point is I was that... doing my little rain dance. <laughs> but the point is that for a lot of people the transition, whether, you know, you get your car, but still it's hard to get a foothold and hang on there on the tour, but for you the transition seemed to be reasonably comfortable.
0: Yeah, again, I think
1: <clears throat> having four years at college
0: and kind of getting used to the, the, the way the courses were set up and the grasses and all that kind of stuff really helped me. And, um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's never easy. And, and I think my first year wasn't certainly a piece of cake. It was, it was touch and go. I was very consistent. Uh, I would have a lot of top 30s, but I wouldn't have uh, too many top fives, or, you know, which is, in this day and age, it's almost better to win, miss four cuts, top five, miss four cuts, you know, be more inconsistent because the money is so heavily weighted at the top. But um, for me, I was very consistent Uh, my first year you know, make a lot of cuts and finish top 30, but I wasn't gaining a lot on the field. So even before I won the Southern Farm Bureau, which was the last tournament of of the year, um, you know, I was still only just inside the top 125. I think I was 110 or something. I was safe, but it wasn't the easiest of years.
1: So establishing yourself on the PGA Tour, but uh, success came in the European Tour. Sweden, your first European Tour win?
0: Yeah, 2004 was when I when I first started coming over to Europe, really. Uh, after getting a good couple of years in, in the US Tour, I was into the top 50 in the world, so it made it possible to join the European Tour and... Um, yeah, obviously went to Sweden in uh, in the summer, and Malmo had had my whole family with me, which was fun, and um, yeah, managed to win that one. That was my first European Tour win, and I think that was the kind of catalyst for kind of Bernard Langer taking a big interest in in picking me for for the Ryder Cup that year. Obviously, he picked me uh, a couple of months later, but the, the week after he picked me, I, I won again in Kran to to kind of just. Obviously, make him look like he was making the right choice so
1: I, I felt like that was only right we'll fast forward a little bit to the 2005 Masters which most people if you they're asked to say what was the moment from that then it's Tiger Woods chipping in at the 16th actually wh- while that was happening here's a little bit of a, the BBC's showing of Tiger Woods chipping in was on tape delay because while he actually did that you were being interviewed having just finished and finished that It was more important, obviously. the
0: first time, you put me before Tiger uh, and the last.
1: It but that was some tournament because that was that was your debut in the Masters and finished third. My, uh, it was my
0: first time at Masters 2005 and, you know, I was I, I just so excited to be there. I think uh, you often see that, the guys, it's that, their first time at the Masters. They're so thrilled and such a, you know, such a build-up to watched it on tv and it's just an amazing place and yes um yeah again obviously i wasn't very close to winning that year tiger and um demarco were, were pretty far ahead but i was playing the the back nine on sunday and I, I must have been i don't know probably in 15th place or something and um i double bogeyed 10 i hit it left uh of the green made a made a made a big mistake of, with my chip and ended up walking off with six and hit a drive down 11 and I was actually um had a little bit of heckling uh, American heckled me just shouting USA USA into my face for I don't know why I'm not the the most uh bashful of golfers out there I'm not sure why he felt like he wanted to do that but do you think you're um, a Monty I think it it sort of had it was sort, of sort of like an inner fired me up in a little yeah. bit and I um Hit one down on 11, chipped in for birdie on 11. Um, made a, a good par out of the front bunk on 12 and then went on to eagle 13 and 15 and nearly had a hole in one on 16. So after a double on 10, I came back in um, four under with
1: two eagles. And, um, yeah, obviously that was good enough for, for third place. And in in terms of the Open Championship, it was quite something as well because uh, you got to play with Jack Nicholas and his... In his farewell, which would have been extraordinary, uh,
0: it, it was extraordinary. I was obviously presented with the the opportunity. I'm, I'm not sure I should be telling this on camera, but they, they came to me, um, the R N A, and asked me if I would want to play with Jack and uh, the other partner. The other playing partner was Tom Watson. It's it's a totally random such. draw it's yeah, totally random. Um, but uh, obviously at that point we were both um, sponsored by Royal Bank of Scotland and so that was the connection. I was this up-and-coming British player and they thought it was a, a good fit. And of course, you know, obviously it's something I had to think about for just a little bit because obviously I'm there to try and compete and win and this is going to be you know, a big deal, a little bit more distracting than the, the, the typical, typical uh, group. So um, obviously... After about three seconds, I thought, "Yes, let's do it. This uh, this will be a great opportunity." But um, yeah, just amazing reception Jack got. Obviously a fan favorite in Scotland and and in St Andrews, having won the Open Championship there. um, Just coming up the last
1: seventeen and eleven,
0: yeah, and I still have those photos hanging up in my house. So just a special moment, and obviously to see the 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 great one uh, hold that birdie putt on the last to cap it, cap, cap it off was, was very, very special, and um, yeah, it was nice to be a part of that, really.
1: So then you must think, well, I'm not, I've got this major thing cracked, but I'm contending in the majors, and you contended again at uh, Medina. Medina place, which obviously, you know, you talk about you're getting heckled by fans, The Medina is a place where you're um, obviously going to get a bit more support as well.
0: Yeah, obviously, just outside of Chicago, I um, had a lot of support having gone to college there, so... Um, yeah that was uh that was a good week for me obviously uh to be be up and paired with Tiger in the final round last last pairing of the day did you wear red on that final I did, uh, did. wear a red shirt was that it intentional as a yeah, because it wasn't people really pointed intentional, out intentional but I obviously knew what I was doing um you know Foking obviously a, a lot of our clothing companies script us for the for the majors and they scripted a red shirt and white white trousers For for me, and then obviously I had no idea at the beginning of the week that I was going to play so well and be paired in the final round with Tiger, but, and, you know, obviously my wife and I talked about it, Polo, Polo, my sponsor back then, talked about my management, and I'm like, well, I feel like if I don't wear the red shirt, I'm already losing to him, you know, I'm already giving him the advantage, so. It wasn't like I was wearing black trousers too, so I thought it was a little bit of a different outfit. But it got a lot of talk, a lot of, um, a lot of people mentioned that, and um, and obviously he beat me, so it didn't really make a, make a difference in the end anyway. But um, it was it was nice to be in that final pair
1: and have a chance. When was the first time you heard the chance, the Luke chance? Oh. First time was
0: actually Beth Page in two thousand two, yeah. um, the New Yorkers, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know they. they they are a tough group, uh, they could be a tough group too, but uh, I, I remember remember distinctly it was the fifth uh, the fifth hole, fifth green. I was playing with Bernard Langer, and I hold a long 30 foot putt, breaking four feet, and uh, the New Yorkers just started chanting it
1: Luke. Did you initially think why are they, why are they booing me this well, is... I,
0: I I got it, but Langer came straight up to me i don
1: 't understand why are they booing you? <laughs> <laughs> because they hate me, Bernard. That's yes, why. Um, not, well, it's been a good, uh, as I say, a good, um, a good tag to have around you here. Um, Ryder Cup. Let's talk Ryder Cup because it is an, it's an incredible record you have in the, in the Ryder Cup. And people look at you and say, "Ah, oh, well, you know, look at Sergio, and he's so extrovert, and you'd think, oh, he's destined to be great." match player because he loves the combative nature of it and he's going with well, a look at you and say oh he's quite quiet and introverted but a silent assassin right? well exactly it doesn't apply does it because you have got the sort of inner fire but you took to the Ryder Cup like a like a duck to water as well
0: I've always enjoyed match play just you know even through amateur through university through I played at Walker Cups Eisenhower's so you know um you know lots of matches England versus Spain I played against Sergio when I was 15 and he was 13 you know and I've just enjoyed that kind of one-on-one um, and, and the team atmosphere. It kind of just gives you a, a, a different... Um, yeah, it just fires you up uh, in a different way to, to individual stroke plays. So it's just a different kind of... Yeah, it's, it's so... Um, you're not just playing the course, you're playing the guy. You're, there's a different strategy to it all. So I, I do enjoy it. And, um, yeah, for I think because I do enjoy it, I've, I've been quite successful.
1: We take us into the, into the Ryder Cup itself and some shots. We were talking to you, your caddy at the time, John McLaren, and he drew attention to, I think, the 17th at Celtic Manor in 2010, but also the 17th at Medina, and for the intensity and in the crowd. But also, I think you described one, the best shot he's ever seen was on the 17th at, at Medina. Do you remember that shot? I do remember it. Um, yeah, Obviously a downhill par.
0: Path three with a big amphitheater of, of people around it, you know, when you have those elevated T shots, you never know quite where the ball's going to land uh, in the air, but we were playing against, it was, it was Sergio and I in the four balls on, on Saturday, and I think there was only myself and Sergio and then Rory and, and Ian Poulter uh, left on the course, we were already down 10-4, we were, we were getting beaten quite soundly, uh, put it that way, and um, Serge and I were, were two up with three to play. Tiger birdied 16 to get it back to one up with two to play. And, you know, you start having those thoughts of whether you can... whether they're going to come back and nick one from you. And obviously the way things were going, you know, we had, had some of those thoughts in the back of our minds. But, and then Tiger stepped up and hit it to four feet on 17, and so the pressure was really on. And... Um, Sergio had a decent shot to maybe 20 feet, but I stepped up and hit the best seven iron, I think, of my life into about two, two and a half feet. And um, we halved the hole in twos, so Tiger made his, I made mine. And fortunately, we halved the last to, to, to win our match. And obviously, why Polter was doing his heroics behind us to, to win another point, suddenly we were only 10-6, which, I don't know, it just gave us that momentum going into Sunday that we still had an opportunity to maybe pull this off.
1: You know, again, we don't see, perhaps from you, sometimes we see the moment of celebration, but you, you're not cavorting around the green, pumping the air. But strikers in football always talk about the, the moment of scoring a goal and how it's not like anything else. Is there anything like that in in golf?
0: Um, well, I think that final part to, to win a tournament or lifting the Ryder Cup uh, in the air, you know, I've obviously experienced that. And um, obviously at Wentworth in 2011, when I when I hold the putt in the playoff against Lee to get to number one,
1: those those are kind of the moments that, that stand with me. Well, 2011, as you mentioned there, an, I mean, an extraordinary year. I mean, a sad year personally as well, and about a, but a happy one as well with the birth of your second child. But the death of your father, reaching world number one—that was an, a, a year like no other, I, yeah. I presume for you. Yeah, it's one of those
0: years where everything kind of went right, obviously, uh, sad, sad to lose my father, but um, on the golf course, um, you know, everything was, just felt so easy, just felt so comfortable, so, so relaxed, so nonchalant, just seemed, everything just seemed to fall into place, you know, it didn't seem like my golf was any different any other year, just I obviously was doing things around the green and from 100 yards and in that you know not many people had done in the game. Just, I just couldn't miss from 10 feet and in. I was getting up and down every time. I, I missed the greens. You know, my long game was solid, but it wasn't anything spectacular. Um, but my short game was just got me to where I was.
1: I mean, a lot of players have struggled with uh, playing on both sides of the Atlantic. They want to do it all, but it's so difficult, the travelling. But then you managed to top the money lists, the order of merits, uh, on on both sides of the Atlantic, which is, I mean, talk about achievements in the game, and that must rank up there with the, certainly your proudest.
0: It was, you know, obviously, officially the first guy to ever do it. I, I suppose Tiger, if he'd be, ever been a member of the European Tour, would have done it uh, as well. But uh, to, to do it officially, the first person was, again, uh, you know, big right at the top of uh, my, my my resume and, and what I would put on there. Um, yeah it was it, it isn't easy to to play both tours it takes up uh, quite a lot of time you, you know you only have to play um outside the majors and world events back then i had to play five events but um on the european tour but still five events is taken away really a couple months of playing in the us with with some weeks off in between so it uh, it does take uh, take some some managing and and getting used to and um yeah to kind of spreads you a little bit thin between the tours so to be
1: able to win obviously both money lists uh, was, was very special. And when you made world number one had that been a, a goal you know for most people it's uh, I want to win tournaments and if whatever happens in the rankings follows but to reach number one that must be a goal in itself.
0: Yeah, I, did, I hadn't th- thought about it too much until I'd won the um, the, the match play uh, the Accenture match play I think um, in uh, Tucson and um, beaten timer in in the in the, um, in the final who, who subsequently went to number one himself after that week, you know I, I suddenly jumped from about eight or nine where I was you know a good player, but to number three in the world, and suddenly you know it was within grasp and it became uh, a huge reality and a huge possibility at that time so
1: then it became a goal and I came kind of fixated on it. Yeah, and did you look at the list of players? I know it's, you know, not a relatively new phenomenon, the world number one, the world rankings, going back to the 80s, but the list of players are Norman and Langer and Faldo and Tiger, obviously. Yeah,
0: these,
1: these are the greats. These are the guys that I, I grew up following and idolising.
0: You know, Faldo and Sebi were pretty much my idols growing up. And, uh, obviously, Norman stayed at number one for 300 weeks or something. Something around there, I think, yeah. Something,
1: something like that. Um, but um, well, fifty-six is a pretty good show, though, because if you look at the players who have spent more time at number one, that, that whittles it down even further.
0: I oh, obviously very proud of that, and um, yeah, proud that I was able to get there, and proud I was able to stay there for for quite a while, because you know there's a lot more tension on you, a lot more media um, scrutiny, there's um, a lot more people. Uh, kind of in your business, so uh, it was you know for someone that's kind of a little bit more in in my own space, I had to you know, obviously um, you
1: know, give up a lot more time than I, I probably would have liked. Well, there's that, and then do you put more pressure on yourself, and perhaps you feel it from others that saying, well, he's world number one, but he hasn't won a major. And David Fair, I know David Fairty, he's a very funny man, but but when he's saying, oh, he's a, a invisible world number one, do you do you, does that insult you? Do you or do no really?
0: No, I, I just. I think back to um, a few years back, my, my coach has seen a quote from from uh, Nick Price. I think it was two thousand eight or nine and he uh, was just talking about the way the game was going and the technology, and you know the guys were hitting it so far but, and they felt it was sorry for it was, it was harsh for the guys that you know weren't that kind of player that were more. Yeah, field, players. field players. and uh, didn't hit the ball very far. They kind of controlled their ball, but you know, he mentioned my name. He said, it's a shame, like a Luke Donald who's a very good player will never be able to get to number one in the world um, just because, yeah, because of the way the game's going. And I, I remember him, my coach, giving me that quote after I got to number one. And, um, you know, I think I, I'm not the type of golfer that should have got to number one, but through my own work ethic and finding my own way of doing it, I was able to do that. And I think, you know, that's something I'm proud of. And yes, of course, I'd love to have won majors. Um, and i I still hold, holding out some hope to, that I can still do that. But um, I, I, that, that didn't really define
1: me. I think um, getting to number one was what uh, I was most proud of. But is there something that, you, again, you touch upon it there, is there something about proving critics or doubters wrong and saying, look, I can do this, I can compete?
0: Yeah, I think, as I said, I come off quite quiet and modest and stuff like that, but uh, there's, a, there's an inner fire there that if, you know, if I hear something or read something, yeah, I want to prove them wrong. I think all all, all competitors are high up in, in the level of their game are like that, and I don't think it
1: changes. Is there one... Major in particular, look back and think that 's the one I shooted on marion i don 't know when when, when yeah, justin won Marion
0: uh, obviously had a good chance with uh, at Medina in two thousand and six. You know I, I ended up shooting two over there without a birdie and uh, was disappointing um, Marion, yeah, I came in there, thought that was a good course for me. Um, it was obviously a lot of wedges, a lot of long holes, but a lot of short holes mixed in, and obviously. I didn't play that great on on, uh, on Sunday again, um, you know, and, and, and probably was a little bit of a turning point in my career, almost. Uh, I didn't quite get it done, and I started thinking, well, how can I change stuff to, to give myself better opportunities?
1: And was it just about trying to find distance? Uh, talked, you've talked already about Pat Goss and, and, and changing coach and thinking, right, how can I compete with a... It wasn't so much about distance; it was
0: more about just consistency of the tee. I felt like I tried to chase distance too much, almost in a way, and it got me out of sync in some certain things in my swing. And I felt like I wasn't, I couldn't hit it enough fairways on on tight, long golf courses like U.S. Opens and and major setups.
1: But if you've got to world number one with a swing and a game, why would you feel that you need to? to alter Again, um,
0: I think as golfers, you're always looking to improve, looking to ways to get better. You know, sometimes the people around you are are telling you stuff that you start to believe in. Um, I think that was a a little bit of a factor. But again, ultimately, I take responsibility for myself. I wanted to get better. I felt like it was maybe uh, time to maybe try something different. And um, ultimately didn't work, and and, yeah, I I should have listened to you, obviously.
1: (laughs) No, I wasn't saying those. I was just agreeing (laughs) with everything you said. But it's interesting as a golfer because it's a very individual sport. But you have key people around you, but you ultimately have to be the boss and make the decisions yourself. But was it a sort of, as you say, a team decision, or were people giving you advice, or did you listen to other voices externally?
0: No, I don't don't want to throw anyone under the bus. But you know, obviously, you spend a lot of time with your caddy and John McLaren, and I felt. There were certain things that I I could really improve on and uh, one of them he thought was driving and if I if I did that um, that it would give me a better chance to to win majors and um, yeah maybe I I, yeah kind of listened to him a little bit too much and uh, was swayed by his opinions a little bit too much but Again, it does come down to me, I, I take full responsibility. I made the decision to change, and um, again, it was a decision that didn't quite work out.
1: But Every golfer has highs and lows and say, disagreements. You get to 2015, and you I, mean, I, I read, and I don't know whether it's true, that you are thinking about your future playing golf.
0: Well, yeah, I was, uh, I was probably one of the golfers that uh, vocalised that to, to the media, and I'm sure there's been lots of other people that have thought that, but never never actually told it, and maybe I was a little bit too um, <clears throat> too, honest, too honest, like too honest, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just obviously been working pretty hard and not seeing much results, and obviously, you know, having been number one not, not too long uh, in the past, and um, I just felt like, yeah, I've made enough money. I, I Young kids at home, maybe I should be just spending time at home. But, you know, then... When you really think about it, um, you know the competitive fire is still pretty, is burning pretty pretty fast, uh, pretty high I- inside me, and um, you know, I'm a competitor. I like to compete,
1: and uh,
0: it's not not my time to to retire yet.
1: Well, it's an interesting balance you have to have because you've got so many things, um, as a normal person should have, you've got to have a normal, lots of things off the course as well. But then when they're enjoyable and you do those, you think, well, maybe I'd like to spend a bit more time doing that but I still want to achieve things mm. in the game. It's different. You know, you've
0: got to try and find a balance. Your, your priorities change a little bit. I think I had a lot more success when my first child, uh, Ellie, was born just because it gave me an appreciation for what's important. And I think golf became a little bit... I, I could, didn't beat myself up so much on the golf course, and that helped. But then, obviously, as your family grows and gets older, you, you really want to spend a little bit more time with them. And so the, the dichotomy of practicing and spending more time and being on the road it becomes tougher um, you've got to make that balance and sometimes that will affect your game a little bit negatively but important family is important to me too so uh,
1: that, that's fine and i just got to be okay with that yeah wife three daughters so mm. do you have this awesome man cave with power tools where you can go <laughs> and be manly in a manly way well i like i have a wine room so that's that's kind of my man cave yeah, and fine art, I mean, that's the thing, you do have these interests such as wine. When did the wine really kick off?
0: Well, I became good friends with a guy called Bill Delato, who was big big into the wine business uh, through through college. Uh, we used to play together uh, in summers when I was still in Chicago, and um, just started talking to him a lot about his business, and he would give me some advice on wine, I'd give him some advice on golf, and it uh, kind of led from there, and... Um, yeah, I guess I guess my my parents were wine drinkers. They drank a lot of French wine and um I just yeah, it was an interest. It seemed like a nice hobby to to be involved with. So um my, this this guy built Tolato and I decided to do a wine together. I think back in 2006 or 7 and um I have a red, no, a t- two whites and it's just more of a more of a fun hobby than anything, but yeah, over the years I've collected a little bit of, you know, wine just to to keep me over uh, when I when I do finally retire.
1: What is um without getting too much away about what is in the, the incredible Donald cellar? <laughs> what is the the most expensive or the one you're most proud of owning?
0: Most expensive. I don't have anything it's quite Yeah, I
1: don't have anything
0: super super expensive. Just a lot of good wines. Yeah, I have some second growths um Bordeauxs like Chateau Palmer, stuff like that. They're probably 4 to four, five. Four, Four to five hundred dollars a bottle.
1: That's me. I'm just nodding. I have no idea. Yeah. So they'll they'll be good in a few years. Do you still? And you collect contemporary art or?
0: Uh, mostly contemporary. I think our oh, the, the the house we have in, in in Florida is somewhat yeah modern contemporary. So yeah, a lot of it is quite contemporary. And still dabble yourself? Do you paint occasionally? Haven't done much. You know, three kids running around hanging off me has uh, kind of stopped me from doing that. But um,
1: my kids paint. Uh, they, they doodle. Yeah, put them up in the fridge. Say, do, you, do you, with your critic's eye, say, no, come on, your brush strokes are... Do it again. <laughs> um, Win over the line. Yeah. Piano? Are you a piano player? Oh. Bad piano yeah. player?
0: I stopped when I was about 14, oh. so... Uh, but I got to about grade four. Okay. Yeah. But no, there no, isn't I can piano. play one song now. And that's oh, really it. Yeah. Okay. Fair at
1: least. So, apart from that, you are clearly uh, Michael Jordan's best mate, actually, because he is such a golf nut and he's, he appears at the Ryder Cups, obviously, a lot. Uh, Chicago legend. So, um, you spend a bit of time with him, play a bit of golf? With?
0: I, I do. We, we live very close to each other. I, um, his wife and my wife are good friends. So, uh, we do spend a lot of time together. Um, we play a little bit of golf, occasional vacation together so um, he's he's a he's a he's a good guy he loves his golf very passionate um you know he's been a good friend to me and um, now he's actually more into his fishing so occasionally i'll go fishing with him he's i think uh he's getting a little bit bored with the golf so he doesn't want to play golf every day he wants to do something else so now he's uh, does a bit, bit 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 more fishing what handicap
1: is he roughly
0: I'd give him five per nine hole, five aside. so it's ten shots, um, so he's about, he's about a five. He's not Charles Barkley then? No, he, he knows how to play, it's, yeah, it's a little bit of an interesting uh, move he has, but um, he knows how to score, he's a very good short game, he'll, you think you've got, got him in the hole and suddenly he will get up and down from nowhere and on to the next, so that was a tie Luke. How many cigars does he get through around? Uh, in
1: a round? Him and earth level?
0: Oh, I'd say so. Yeah,
1: I think cause I sort of said it. so he got quoted once as having six a day, so decent level. Yeah. So I know you as hey, this is your homeland, Spurs fan. But you're more you're, you love American sports, don't you? Are you a big Cubs? I've lived there for, for twenty one years now. Do you feel in any way American? Hmm. No, not really. But you love your American no sports. Um,
0: I enjoy it. Chicago's a good a good yeah. sports town, you know. Obviously the Chicago Bulls, uh, and they are not all been playing well lately, but the Chicago Bulls, the Chicago Cubs, the, the Blackhawks, the ice, ice hockey team, and obviously the Bears, are the the NFL, the football, uh, American football team. But, um, yeah, it's it's on and TV yeah. when I'm at home. But <clears throat> I do watch a lot of the Premier, Premier League as well. That's You get to see more games in the U.S. than
1: you do uh, over here in the U.K., so it's a nice little perk. Tell us about the life of... Uh a super pro when it's at the top because you are as the song goes big in japan bigger than big in japan and that's must make <laughs> huge. huge in japan uh, like joey from friends it's like a mizuno connection i suppose but also that did you once win a i was gonna say beef but was it an, a- an actual cow. well i played the uh, dunlop
0: phoenix obviously yeah with through my um... Role as an ambassador for Mizuno. Yeah, I went over and played a few tournaments in Japan and, uh, yeah, one back to back years actually 2012 and 13. And um, one of the pride yeah, it's in this place called Miyazaki, which is a little island in the south of of Japan. And they have this amazing beef. It's a bit like Kobe, but even better. I guess they have beef um, competitions in Japan or all over the world. And this is number one every year. So. And I'm not sure what they're feeding these cows, but uh, very marbled, very um, yeah, rich, um, but very good. And um, part of the prize was you get to win a cow's worth of beef. And obviously being an international winner, someone who didn't live in Japan. I, just, I
1: love that amount, a cow's worth of beef. That's, yeah. that's just a cow. Yeah, it's just
0: give you a few few fillets and a, a few rumps and uh, you go on your way. But uh, obviously being, a, being an international winner, uh, the Jap- Jap- easy to get it to the Japanese if they win it, but uh, most in a, every international winner before me had just taken the, the monetary value, I think ten thousand dollars or something. And I'm like, oh, I, I don't, want the the money. I want to get the beef. So I had some friends in the food industry in the U.S. managed to get it get it over to me. Two years in a row, these uh, mm-hmm. big boxes of.
1: So to be clear, it wasn't a live curry. A little, it. kind of oh, I've heard, heard this. This is like Roger Federer when he won a cow, and I think he keeps it somewhere in in Switzerland. No, it, it, it was um, it was dead, unfortunately. Yes, and uh, prepackaged into little steaks. And so, what would you like to? Do you start to think? Uh, what, I'm trying to think. How old you are on Earth? Are you near? Are you there? What, yes, December I turned. Big Four has begun. So what, when you think get to that point, it's got a seminal moment for a lot of people in their lives. They think, right, what's the next phase of life? So you've still got a lot to. I'm sure, that you feel you want to achieve in the game. But do you look beyond that and think, right, what else am I going to do? I'm,
0: I'm getting to that stage where I'm having to start to think about that. And, um, you know, obviously, dabbling this week a little bit at Wentworth with some commentary, and that's obviously some, a, a possible option if, if they think I'm good enough. Um, but also, I'm, I'm very much into in golf architecture, actually. I've, I've teamed up with a guy called Dave Zinkand, who was a, a, sh- a shaper, for Corwin Crenshaw for 14 years, obviously doing some magnificent work uh, over the last few years. But I'd like to slowly get into that that side of the game. Um, think golf course. Would you like to see? Because, not be, just because of the way that you played the game. Well, I think that's a mistake for
1: for pros is to, to design courses around no as a professional, but as someone who was not the biggest hitter out there, that golf courses. You, Golf course. It cannot be seven thousand five hundred yards. People ask me every day you know, when I play Proams,
0: what what's your what's the favourite course? And there's never one on tour. You know, I don't like to play these long seven thousand yard, seventy five hundred yard courses, but I like to play fun courses that have a lot of strategy. You know, there's ones like National Golf Links or Cypress Point. Obviously these are very exclusive golf courses, but they're they're not long, but they're not Easy either. Um, I mean, they're wide fairways. They have a lot more strategy involved, um, more about the look. I just I feel like I want to play a golf course. Even if you play badly,
1: you walk off and you, you feel good about it. I mean, looking forward. We've talked about what you would like to do. I mean, I suppose immediately you're not playing yourself at the moment, but you are hopefully going to be back soon. But also you're going to be a vice captain mm. at the at the Ryder Cup. I mean, it's a strong it's a strong lineup of vice captains there. Hugely
0: strong, a lot of uh, experience. Obviously, West would bring in a lot of experience, having played ten uh, Ryder Cups himself. But um, yeah, a lot of experience. We've we've been on a lot of winning teams between us, and obviously a great honour and um, yeah, privilege to be to be picked and asked by uh, by Thomas. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. It was disappointing not to have played the last two Ryder Cups. Uh, it was tough to, to sit back and watch that. Uh, I'm glad I'm going to be involved in some way. Obviously, I'd love to be playing, of course, but um, to be a vice-captain is, is great, and obviously that will somehow, some somewhere down the road, maybe lead to a captaincy.
1: Well, it's interesting you talk about that, because you, you've talked going all the way back to Peter McAvoy in the, the Walker Cup and how much you enjoyed his captaincy and how much you enjoy the team environment. So being a captain, perhaps, down the line would be... Would be the pinnacle of uh, of team sports for you being captain of the Ryder Cup. It
0: would. It's definitely a goal of mine. I'd love to, to do that. Um, I've certainly drawn inspiration through through a lot of the captains I've served under. I've, I've made notes at Ryder Cups that I've been in, just just little points that I've noticed that, that that can make a difference. And so it's something I've been thinking about for for years. And um, you know, as, of course, the the main goal is to play as long as I can. But when the time comes, yeah, if I could be a, uh, be a captain, that would
1: uh, be a great honour. Listen, I know you're almost uh, an American because they're big into philanthropy, but a normal human being because it's mm-hmm. about giving back as well, because you do, and, and I know you're very keen on the, on the charity that you're involved in.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm involved with a a few charities, but the main one has been, um, yeah, I've been doing a a wine dinner, uh, obviously, um, the last 10 years, uh, but raising money for the First Tea of Chicago. Obviously, the First Tea tea organization, you know, is a nationwide organization that kind of helps with, uh, you you know, originally it was inner city kids, but it can be any kind of kids that just kind of want to get off the streets or or spend time learning life's lessons through golf. Um, you know, I think it's a great program. I felt like as a kid I was given a membership at Hazelmere Golf Club when I was nine years old and, and the, the limit was 12. You had to be 12 to be a member. So I always remember that. It was kind of giving me my break, my start. And I, I just want to encourage the, 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 the young kids as, as much as possible. So uh, we, we've done well over the last 10 years. We've had great guests like Jack Nicholas and, and uh, Ernie Ells and uh, you know, um, Ricky Fowler came last year, uh, two years ago, Sergio um, last year. So it's, uh, it's, it's been great. And we've raised, I think, north of a couple, couple million dollars and it's made a big difference to the chapter.
1: I think a lot of golfers and, uh, you know, uber achievers and successful people, uh, you know, we sometimes say, oh, well, you know, we might want to win this tournament to do that. But you realise, uh, I presume, how lucky you are in the grand scheme of things as well.
0: Very fortunate. You know, I've been given a, a lot of opportunities starting when I was nine years old, you know, to, to be able to be a, have a place to play and practice was, was really important and influential in my career. So... We're very, we're very fortunate. We get a lot of perks uh, being uh, the, the professionals that we are.
1: But again, golfers, we sometimes see them as tunnel vision. It's all about how can I improve this? What can I do? And it's just all about the golf. But I always like the golfers who see the world outside as well. Sometimes you you, you can't afford because you've got to be so focused. But yeah. I mean, I'm sure you take a greater interest in in, in things in life in general.
0: Well, my, I
1: think that's just the way I was being brought up. My my parents were very um, very.
0: They thought it was very important that I led a kind of a balanced life. So I just wasn't 24-7 golf. So, you know, they, they made me play the piano. They made me, um, you know, get into art and, and be sporty and just have a very balanced kind of life and just not be centred about just one thing. And I think um, that's kind of, that's kind of help, helped me uh, throughout my life.
1: And what about your, uh, your daughters? When you put down the power tools in your man cave and go out, and what sports do they, or do they? Would you like to see them get into golf?
0: Well, I do, I do, do have clubs. I take them out now and again. Their, their interest wanes at times. You know, sometimes they prefer just to, to run through the bunkers. Or uh, the course I play at in Florida, the Bears Club, have some turtles. They love going to find the turtle holes and seeing if they're there, or you know, things like that. And you know, they might hit four or five balls and then they get a bit distracted. So. I'm not sure if they're going to go into golf, as they might. Uh, My my youngest got got into a little bit of a phase the last... couple weeks ago and just for three or four days in a row just wanted to hit balls she hit 125 balls in about an hour one day yeah I was just putting them on she'd hit putting them on she'd hit Um, but again I'm not really pushing them Um, they're into into other things
1: yeah I push your parents (laughs) in all aspects you see it quite a lot in sport in terms of were you I mean you, were, you weren't you pushed. You were encouraged, I'm sure, guided. And...
0: No, I had very kind of
1: hippie parents, if anything. Yeah, they
0: certainly weren't anything close to pushing. They were supportive. Um, my mum would always take me to the course every morning whenever, whenever I wanted to. Um, my dad would care about more me as a person than, than my goal for my scores. Yeah, it was funny, once in college, um, I, when I won the NCAA, I got on the phone and called my parents and and uh, talked to them, and, uh, and then my dad um, said, could I talk to my coach, Pat? And so he got on the phone, and um, he just said, uh, so how is the young boy doing in, col- in school? Is he doing well? Is he, uh, is he enjoying life? Like, how are the girls treating him? He, was, he didn't really care about
1: that, just just won the NCAA. That's the way to do it. Actually, yeah, I never even got on to talk about your, your Scottishness, but your dad mm. also from Scotland. Luke Campbell Donald. a Scottish name,
0: yeah. Yeah, who's was born in Stranraer. Uh, only lived in Scotland for until he was two and then moved to England,
1: but. It's uh, good enough. Lost the accent, I'm afraid. Lost the accent a long time ago. Listen, it's been fascinating talking to you, and I hope you've got a lot still to achieve in, in golf. And uh, yeah, Luke Donald, thank you very much for joining us on Life on Tour podcast. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Life on Tour podcast presented by Hilton. You can get in touch via Twitter and Instagram at European Tour using the hashtag Life on Tour or on Facebook. Subscribe now and if you enjoyed the show, feel free to rate and review us on iTunes and Apple Podcasts.